Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Well, happy Mother's Day, Liverpool One Church. It's absolutely phenomenal that you're all able to be with us in church. I'm just going to pop that there for a second. We'll, that'll become apparent in a short while. But it's amazing, however you've come to be with us in church, whether you're here in the room or whether you're joining us at home online, we just want you to know that on Mother's Day especially, we're so glad to have you here. And I really hope that all you girls out there, whether you're a mum or not, I hope that you've had a bouquet of flowers today, maybe a card, and just to like, just to show you just how special you all are. You know, today we're at the end of our current series of talks, which we've simply entitled The Blessing of Being Stuck, because we've been talking all about all those times and seasons in our lives where for you, and the same for me too, it just feels like sometimes you're just a bit stuck. You're just a bit in a jam. You don't really know how to cope with what you've been going through. And for the last few weeks, we've just been in a series of talks all about picking out the blessings and ways to get through when life gets tough. Because if there's one thing that's true for all of us, it's that we all struggle with some things some of the time. You know, My wife is amazing. Like, if you know her, you already know this, but my wife is incredible. She's a really great friend. She's got a great heart for people. And she's like the most amazing mum I have ever, ever seen in my life, save none. She is boss, to use a Liverpool word. She's amazing. But there's one thing that my wife struggles with more often than not, and she won't mind me saying, but quite often she seems to struggle with this one thing. And that thing is the Mersey Tunnel. Now, she struggles with the Mersey Tunnel on a number of levels. And um, quite often she finds herself in there, maybe when she didn't expect to be in there. And um, whether or not she was in Liverpool traveling to Wirral or Liverpool going to Liverpool or Wirral going to Wirral, even if her journey didn't involve the Mersey Tunnel, often she finds herself in there. And uh, there's been a couple of occasions, one quite recently, and um, she was just taking a couple of the people from here in the church, she was dropping them home. One of the guys who lived out in Aintree and um, one of the girls who lived over on Wirral. So she left the church and off she heads over to Aintree, which as we all know, is in Liverpool. So she leaves the church and a couple of wrong turns later and a little bit of a thing and they're all in the Mersey Tunnel. So they start talking in the car and they're just like, oh, uh, someone who flagged it up, what are we doing in the tunnel? We're like, we're not really sure. So they all go to the staffed booth, the other side of the uh, side of the water and they explain to the lady, we didn't expect that we were gonna have to come through the tunnel. We don't really need to be here. We Honestly, we need to go back. Is there any way you can do a thing with the cones and just let us go back? And so the woman opened the cones and just let them go straight back through. They come back through the tunnel. They end up at the other end, back in Liverpool again. And with one quick lap of the roundabout and a lane change later, they're back in the tunnel again, going back to Birkenhead for the second time. So then less than 10 minutes later, when they arrive at the tunnel toll for the second time, and the woman's looking at them like, have you been drinking? They like, they, they all arrive at the tunnel and they say like, we're really, really sorry. We shouldn't be here. We don't know how this has happened. Can you like open the barrier? Can you do the thing with the cones that you just did? Can we go back to Liverpool again? 
So the woman's like, okay, opens the barrier and lets them through for free. But she forgets she's got a fast tag in the window. So as she's gone under it, it's scanned her anyway and she's already paid twice. So on the fourth visit through the tunnel back to Liverpool, they're all focused, they're all in silence. They're like, we will not let this happen again. This can't happen another time. And they just ended up eventually making their way out of this Groundhog Day that became the Mersey Tunnel trip. But you know, I would guess that there were certain points during that tunnel shift, like, I don't even know how that happens. Like, I'm just like, what? I don't even understand this. I get these phone calls, I'm in the tunnel again. And um, I would have thought that there would have been certain points during that journey where maybe they all would have thought, this is it for me. Like, I'm gonna grow old right here in the car, underneath the River Mersey, this is it. But you know, I think for all of us, There's certain times and seasons in all of our life where we might say about ourselves and our situation exactly what maybe they were saying in the car, and that is, I just feel stuck in this. I just feel as if there's no way out of this for me. I don't know how I'm going to cope and get past where life has me right now. I literally can't see how I'm going to get through this next season. Maybe you've experienced times and seasons in your life which should have been really great for you, but the reality's been not quite that. It hasn't lived up to what it should have been, like maybe today, Mother's Day. It should be great. It should be lovely. Maybe you've woken up and had breakfast in bed, maybe a card, perhaps some flowers, maybe a meal out after church or something different, and that's all lovely. But maybe today is not like that for you, because what if today... Your, your experience of Mother's Day is different. What if you've lost your mum and today is just a reminder? Or what if there's been a family breakdown of some sort and your family are choosing not to celebrate with you today and it just hurts? Or what if, you know, through, through no fault of your own, what if maybe today was supposed to be Mother's Day for you because you were supposed to be a mum, but something happened and that wasn't the case and today's just pain for you. It's just a reminder It's just a constant nagging reminder of everything that should have been. And hard times are obviously not just today. It's it's not just around Mother's Day. What if you're out of work right now? What if you had a job and it was great and it was all going really well into plan and then COVID happened and redundancies hit and now you're out of work but the bills still need paying and the rent still needs meeting and you've got to still hit the mortgage and the council tax and All the things have to be paid, but what are you going to do because you don't have any work and you can't find any and you just feel stuck? What if it's a health diagnosis for you and, you know, in your head you planned out the next few seasons of your life and you've got this kind of goal going against the next few years and now it maybe looks as if that might not be the case. It might not be possible for you to live out and, and, and actually experience all the things because of this diagnosis and it hangs over you and you just feel stuck. You just want to be out of it. You just want to be free of it. Maybe for you, it's a family situation with a, a sibling or a parent or a relative. What if it's a finance thing where you feel just trapped and hemmed in? There's a whole host of ways in life that we can just feel stuck. So today... I just want to spend a few short moments that we've got together looking at and exploring the answer to this one question. How do I cope in life when I feel stuck? How do I cope when I feel stuck? Because you might go, yeah, today I do feel stuck 
but I know I have to carry on, so how? Like, I literally know I have to get up every day and do something, but how do I do that? Like, how do I actually go about doing that? Or you might say that you've been stuck at some point in your past, and you might go, yeah, I didn't deal with it too well then, and I know that in life, like, there are seasons of good and seasons of bad, so if I get there again and I didn't deal with it too well then, is there anything that you can tell me that's gonna help me maybe the next time? Because if you might be here today going, you know, there's no lessons I can learn from the season of life where I find myself. There's no blessing in being stuck for me. It's just horrible, it's nasty, it's pain. I don't enjoy it, it's not a good thing. And all I wanna do is get past it. Like sure, I come to church and sure, I read my Bible and I do those things, but still, I just feel like I'm not gonna be able to cope with what I'm going through. I just feel properly overwhelmed. Well, I just think that for all of us, maybe one of the most important things that highlights itself and that rises to the surface through times and seasons in our life which are hard is undoubtedly the people who we choose to surround ourselves with. It's those who are close to us. It's those who we do life with. They're the ones who we can lean on and count on and oftentimes rely on to be there for us in those seasons. And I find it interesting that sometimes it takes hardship in life and tough times for us to learn the value of those people who are the closest ones to us. Because in life, if we're gonna navigate our hardest and our darkest days, then some of the most important people in our worlds are gonna be those who we run life with, who we rub shoulders with, who we lean into, who we do our days with, because they're gonna be the ones that are gonna love us and comfort us and help guide us through some of the hardest times. And today, I just wanna have a very brief look at a, a, a case study of a particular guy's life in the Bible, because I think that this guy knew, as much as anybody else in the Bible knew, what it was to be stuck in life and what it was to go through hard times. I mean, I'm sure there's tons of people who we could look at, who we could look at for this exact thing. But I think this guy has just got a really incredible set of values and a really great case study for us, and his name was Moses. So let's just have a very brief look at the life of Moses and just learn a little bit about this guy that we're gonna talk about today. So Moses was born into slavery. He, uh, he was born as a slave, an Israelite slave, into the nation of Egypt. And the Pharaoh, the guy in charge, decides that he wants to kill all the Israelite boys. So rather than let him be killed, his mum, who definitely deserves a card on Mother's Day, sticks him in a basket and sends him off down the river. Now, I'm just saying, if you've got a baby and you want him to be safe, don't go today, leave church, bang him in the Mersey and kick him down towards Stanlow, because that's not going to end very well for you. But this baby ended up going all the way down the river where the Pharaoh's daughter saw the baby rescues him and takes him into the palace when he should have died and raises him as an Egyptian, even though he was a Hebrew, even though he was Israeli, and she raised him in the palace under Pharaoh's nose where he should have been dead, which is crazy. So then when Moses gets a bit older, he then sees an Egyptian slave master mistreating his Hebrew slave. And he goes over and he gets all puffy chested and he gets involved in this fight and he ends up killing the Egyptian. So now not only should he have died, but now he's got blood on his hands and he ends up killing this Egyptian guy. So he runs from Egypt literally for his life, which doesn't end too well for him because God then says to him, what I want you to do, mate, is go back to Israel and I want you to ask the Pharaoh to release 
all the rest of the Israelites, all your people. And he's like, I don't think so, because that's not a journey you want to go on. As Moses, like, you've got blood on your hands. You were a wanted man. You should have been killed as a baby. And you want me to go back there and ask for all the rest of the Israelites? Are you crazy? Anyway, it's not good to argue with God. So Moses goes. And then eventually when God causes the Pharaoh to release all of the Israelite slaves, all the Israelites, and they all leave together, millions and millions of people, the whole nation, they all leave Egypt. Then they all get stuck together between the sea on one side and the army on the other side because the Pharaoh changed his mind and went, actually, no, kill him. So they've got the sea on one side, the army on the other, they're all trapped in the middle Again, what we see is God come through because Moses is told by God, hold your staff up and I'm going to part the water and you're going to walk through. And he's like, okay, I've got to do the thing. So like, there we go, there it is. And you know the story. They all walk through the water safely to the other side. So they're all in their promised land. So everything's okay, right? No. So they all get to their promised land and then because all the people are like, moaning and groaning and complaining because they're like, we're better off where we were. It was better back in Egypt. We're better as slaves than here in the desert. God then causes Moses to lead them in circles, like lost in the wilderness for the next 40 years, just so that there's just so much dissent in the camp and he just wants to breed it all out of the camp. So they all get lost for 40 years. Eventually, finally, they arrive at their promised land. So all's good, right? No, because there are all sorts of other people who live in the region then come and engage in battles with them because they want to take the land back from the Israelites, which is where we join the story. So in Exodus 17, we're going to read about one of those battles. And we're going to start, jump in at verse 8. So it's the Amalekites this time. The Amalekites came and they attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses says to Joshua... Choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. Moses, Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. Verse 13, so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. So here's the Israelites. They're finally free. They finally arrived at the land that God had predetermined that they should be in. And instantly, the second that they're there, they're having to defend it against people who want to come and they want to take it off them. But if we just take a second and we take a snapshot of everything that Moses has been through, his whole, life, his whole lifespan right up to this point, we see that there's three things, these three traits, character attributes of Moses, things he knew, things he'd made part of who he was, that just made so much sense and saw him succeed where others fail. And I think today we can learn from these three things that we see in the life of Moses. And they're simply this. Number one, he chose his friends very wisely. Number two, he helped others repeatedly. And number three, he trusted God faithfully. He chose his friends, he helped others, and he trusted God. 
So today, <clears throat> I just want to have a look at those, key, those three things because I feel like there's some secrets in there, there's some keys, <clears throat> excuse me, that we could all learn from in seasons of our life when we otherwise would struggle. And the first thing is this. In life, we've got to intentionally choose who we run with. We have to be intentional about those people who we choose to run with. Because in 2022, there's so many things that we can't be in control of. There's so many things that are just happening around us that we're out of control of. But one thing we can control is those people who we draw close with. It's those people who we choose to surround ourselves with because they're the ones who are gonna become most important in our hard times. They're the ones who we're gonna let in. Let me just ask you today, like, who is there in your life who holds up your hands when you've got no strength left? Who is there in your life who surrounds you and holds you and keeps it together with you when you struggle the most? When you can't see the wood for the trees, and you're overwhelmed, and you're out of energy, and you're all spent up. Who is there in your world who would do that for you? Let's look at verse eight and see who did it for Moses. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites. So at this point, the second the attack happens, we find Moses, Joshua, Aaron, and her, and these boys have done some life together. Like They know each other. They know the way they think. They know the way that they act. They know the way that they process bad news. They've gone through and done some life together, these guys. So when they're attacked, it doesn't take them long. They instantly act on what they know and they make a plan. Moses speaks up as the leader because the others have given him that authority in their life. So he speaks up and he goes, Joshua, go and get some of the guys and go and fight the Amalekites. He goes, Aaron, her, you're with me. Tomorrow we're going up that hill. I'm going to hold up this rod and I'm going to pray. So they make a plan. So, but what I want to know is, okay, so... <clears throat> Joshua's gone with some of the guys and he's gone to go and fight the Amalekites. But why would Moses take the other two? Like, why would, after everything we've seen that Moses has been through and all of the miracles he's seen God do, could he not go alone? Like, why would he take the other two with him? Why would he not say, Joshua, you go and fight. You guys stay here and look after the camp. I'm going up there to pray. Why would he need them? What's, what's the point? I think he just wanted them because they were his trusted friends. He didn't know what it was going to involve. He didn't know how long he was going to be up there. He didn't know how long Joshua was going to take to fight the Amalekites down, down the bottom of the hill. He, he just wanted his friends around him. He wanted his boys to support him, speak well of him, G him up if he got tired because he didn't know what it involved. But Moses had made his whole life um, about, about being around other people and he'd chosen his group really tight. You know, maybe today you've got some friends in your world who are, who are there for you. Maybe you've got some friends in your world who you go, it's those people. They're the ones who are for me. Isn't it right that in a tough time, they're the ones who you'd want to come with you wherever it was you were going? You know, <clears throat> one way that we can gather some really great high-class people around ourselves in life and we can maximise our chance of getting some great people to do life with is to be planted in the church. Because the Bible tells me that where those who are planted in the church, they will flourish. And if you're around the church, I'm sure that that scripture partially refers to the fact that if you're planted in the church and you're knitted in and you're part of this thing, then you're going to be surrounded <clears throat> on your left and on your right 
by people who are just for you, by people who've got your best in mind, by people who are going to have your back when you struggle. We defo should not be doing life around the gossip. We should not be drawing them in close because believe me, if they're talking to you and gossiping to you about them, then the law of the world is then they are gossiping and talking to them about you also. We should not choose to pull the gossip in close and listen to all the stories and listen to all the things that they say about other people because if they're doing it about them, then they're doing it about you. We should be choosing and being intentional in the same way that Moses was about drawing those people in and close and tight to us in our lives who are gonna be for us, who are gonna support us and who are gonna see us strong. The second thing is we also need to remember that when you make your life about others, others' lives become about you. The second you choose to make your life about others, their life becomes about you. Did you know that you're most magnetic to God when you're doing what's most important to him? And the last instruction that Jesus gave to mankind, us, before he ascended to heaven, was effectively to love God and love people. And when you help others, when you make your life about helping others, I believe something happens on the Father heart of God and you pop right up on his radar because what you're doing is making your life and your days about what's most important to him and he can't help but become attracted to that and part of that and he starts to get right alongside you. You know, we could all choose to go down and struggle on our stuck situation we could all choose to have like a one-man pity party and we could have like a little cry in a cave and Moses could have taken himself off and gone, <clears throat> but I've only just got here and the Amalekites have come and it's all so bad and woe is me. And I'm convinced that if he'd done that, they probably would have lost. But he'd made his life about helping other people. So when he started to struggle, he had friends who came alongside him. And not only that, but they were ready to help him right where he needed it most. Verse 11 says, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. And when Moses' hands grew tired, his friends took a stone, they put it under him, and one, hand got, one guy got one hand, one guy got the other hand, and together they held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other, and he remained steady until sunset. <clears throat> so there he is. He's up a mountain. He's holding his staff up to God because he realises as long as it's up, they're winning. As long as it's up, they're good. He's praying and he's believing. But the second it comes down, he starts to struggle. The difference was, Moses wasn't there on his own. He had his mates next to him. And when they saw him struggling, he'd made his life about others and they stepped right in. For example, like if I could just have my helpers up on stage, that would be amazing. If we just said for a second <clears throat> that this stick represents the thing in your life that you struggle with, this stick is your financial worry. This is your family breakdown. This is your lack of job. This is your health report. If we just said that this stick for a moment becomes your stuck, then that would be really cool. But it's a bit of a naff title. So let's just say that this re represents the thing that you're struggling with and your situation. But in reality to you, your struggle, your stuck, your thing is not really similar to this because bigger to you than that. Your situation to you is more like this log. It's more like this tree branch. It's kind of big. It's kind of awkward. 
You don't know how far you're going to be able to get through life carrying this thing. You don't know how far you'll be able to walk before the weight of what you're trying to carry starts to weigh you down. It's certainly nothing like this. It's far more similar to that branch. But the thing is, even though it's kind of big and it's kind of ugly and it's really hard and it's, and it, and it's, and it's massive to you, you're going to try your best to carry it anyway. Mike, if I can ask you to pick up the log, do you see why I didn't do this by myself? If I can ask you, bro, to hold that thing over your head in the Moses-like pose, look at that. There we go. Front row tickets to the gun show right here. So here we've got Mike, like we had Moses. He's up on the hill, he's carrying his struggle, he's carrying his mate's burden, and he's got that thing over his head. Now, it doesn't take much lot, it doesn't take much time, because at first, you're okay. At first, you can carry on. At first, it's not too heavy. Might look that way, but it's not, because he's a strong guy. At first, it's not too bad, and you feel like you're able to, to do a bit of life. You feel like you're able to carry on. You feel like you're able, and people don't see your struggle. But after a short while, the weight of that thing that you're carrying starts to weigh you down. It starts to wear you down. You don't know how much longer you're going to be able to carry that thing for on your own, which is where your friends come in, because you've made your life about others. Boys, take his hands, please. Because the thing is, Mike's a great guy, and we like him, and he serves in the church, and he's just an awesome awesome guy. He's got some friends. And because he's chosen to make his life about serving others, you see how easy it is now his friends come in and they take the weight and they help him with his burden and they help him. They get around him. They get involved in the struggle. They're now getting covered in all the bits of wood that have fallen off that thing. They're right underneath it with him and they're making their lives about helping him. Exactly the same as when those boys got round Moses up that hill because he was making his life about helping Joshua and helping them win the battle. The second he struggled, his mates came and they stepped in. Mike doesn't need a rock under him. See the size of those legs? He just needs a couple of guys to come next to him. He just needs a couple of guys to hold his arms. Guys, thank you. Can we just give it up for our strongmen? <clears throat> we love you. We love you big time. I'd love to be as big as Mike, but that's just never going to happen. You know... We should all be a church filled with people who are looking for opportunities to make our lives about others, make our lives about serving others. And um, when we become that church, I believe that we pop up on God's radar because what we're doing is tapping something in to the Father heart of God that is all about what God's about. And he can't help but get busy looking after your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations. He can't help but attach himself to your everyday when you make your life about helping others. You know, someone did this for our family just recently. And um, my daughter got ill and she brought a virus home and my wife and I both went down. And who knows when you've got poorly baby, poorly mum and poorly dad, it feels like life's about to end very, very shortly. Well, we were all down and this one day, this box came through the post and it just had like, chocolates and sweets and treats and goodies and activities for our daughter and just a note in there that said they were praying for us they were believing for us and they were wishing us that we'd get well soon and you know what that's what it looks like to hold up someone's hands when they're struggling it's as practical as that so let's be a church that always looks for the opportunities to get creative and hold up the hands of those people who are close to us who are in our 
church, because if you look down your rows to the left and to the right, they're there. They're looking out for you. They're the ones that are going to support you and hold up your hands. And the third and final point today is that we can trust God with everything, every time. Everything, every single time. If we're going to cope when we feel stuck the most, this is something that we're going to need to remember. This is something that we're going to need to be hot on. Both Joshua and Moses knew this. They, they knew they could trust each other for sure, but they also had an unwavering, unfaltering trust in God that he was always going to come through every single time, that he was always going to deliver them every single time. Because the whole time Moses had positioned himself while Joshua was fighting, he was in full sight of him. So if Joshua started to waver and think, oh no, the Amalekites are winning, he can see it coming down. He sees, his, he sees Moses' hands get raised by his boys. He sees him, he's encouraged. We have to know that up the hill, someone's praying. Up the hill, someone's got their hands. Up the hill, that's where the battle's being won because we can trust God with every single thing, every single time. You see, Joshua was a warrior. Moses was a prayer. Joshua took the boys to fight. Moses took his mates and prayed. And together, they both won. Those guys up the hill would have never wanted Joshua to lose the battle because they were the same race. If he'd lost the battle, they'd have been for the chop. So their trust in God was literally for their very lives. Joshua won the battle, verse 13. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. God delivered. You know, <clears throat> I remember really vividly, literally as if it was yesterday, the day and the moment that Vicky, my wife, and I decided that we were gonna have a talk about starting a family. I remember where we were. I remember the room we were in. And I remember the way we felt. We were just like, let's do this. Let's, let's start a family. Let's begin the next chapter of our lives. Let's just, let's just do this. And as the days turned into weeks and the, day, and the weeks turned into months and the months turned into years and there was just no sign of a baby. I remember eventually we just started to talk and we just sort of said to each other, maybe we should fix a date. And if there's no baby by this date, then maybe we ought to just go and involve the medics and just go for an appointment and see what the score is. So we did, and the date came and the date went, so we ended up at an appointment, and <clears throat> we were told something that day, which I don't think any of us, either of us, were, were expecting. We were told that it would be virtually impossible for us to have a child without medical intervention. But we were told something else. We were told that our only hope of starting a family was gonna be IVF which was a real surprise to us because we know like it's modern day medicine. It, it's modern day. There's other stuff you can try. In our minds, IVF was a last resort. Not that there's a, we had a problem with it. We just imagined it was our last resort. Definitely not something which would have been our only hope. But one thing that was great news was they said, because you're young and you're fit and healthy, you stand a really great chance you do stand a really great chance, the best chance of being a success. So we start the process and it's an invasive process and it's not nice and it's hard and it's horrible and it's, 
It's just not great. And when we reach the end of the process, all the time keeping in our minds, we're perfect candidates for this. This should work. This is going to be great. At the end of the process, we left the hospital one day effectively pregnant. We were at the end of the process. And there's a wait of roughly two weeks before you find out if everything's gone to plan and if there's a baby there. And there's this two-week wait. And during that two weeks, man, we dreamed. Like, we did everything possible to ensure success. Vicky took a fortnight off work and we did gentle walks and we just potted around the house. But we let our minds go to a place where we dreamed and we planned and we picked out baby names and we went there and thought about what the nursery was going to look like. And we just started to live the rest of our lives right there. And it was so exciting. And then this one day, I just remember that Vicky just had these complications and she phoned me and we talked and I was like, okay, well, let's maybe just go and get everything checked in the hospital, make sure we're all progressing okay and everything's doing all right. Nothing could have prepared us for what we got told when we went to the hospital because we turned up at that appointment. We just got told there's nothing there, nothing. Whatever's gone wrong, it's complete. There's no baby, there's no chance, there's no nothing. It's gone, it's done. So we left. All the time we were just thinking, but we, we were perfect candidates for this. And the other thing we were thinking was, this is our only hope and now it's failed. So we left. We didn't speak, we just cried. I didn't know how to console my wife. I didn't know what to say. I felt properly numb. Vicky was smashed. It happened to her like it happened physically to her. And I just didn't know what to do. But during that time, we had our friends, our trusted friends who got round us, people who we loved and who loved us. And they spoke with us and they cried with us and they prayed with us and they held us tight and they were so over us. They held up our hands when we had no more strength to go. They just lived the days with us all the time, speaking God's promises over our lives and over our relationship and over our future family all of the time. And you know, in time we healed and in time things got easier and in time we decided that we would give IVF another go. So as we were gearing ourselves up mentally to go again for this process, <clears throat> who knew <laughs> that God had a different idea? And before we could actually get to the hospital to have any more IVF, we just fell pregnant with our baby girl who we decided to call Elsie because it means God's promise. And she's literally perfect. She's perfect in every single way. But you know, I say that not to say like, look at us, we've now got our family. But I say that to say that the same God who won Moses the battle, the same God who gave Vicky and I our miracle baby, that same God can do it for you too. And maybe you're here today and maybe you're struggling with the same kind of a thing. Maybe it's a pregnancy, maybe it's not. Maybe you're at home online. Maybe it's something else. But you know, that same God who did it for us can do it for you. And you know what the privilege is? We now get to be those people who can stand in the gap next to someone else and try and hold up their hands and try and G them up and try and make sure that they're okay and speak God's promises over them because he's done it for us. And that is 
so precious. But you know, that same God, He's never changed. He will never change since all the way back in Moses' time. He's exactly the same as He is today. He's still got the power, He's still got the ability and He's still desperate to help you. So in answer to my question, how do we cope when we feel stuck? Well, let's just pull those things right out of that story. I'd say in my experience, the people who you have close to you are such a blessing. So choose them wisely. The ones you draw into your circle, choose those people wisely. Choose to serve God repeatedly and choose to serve others repeatedly. Make it part of who you are in exactly the same way as Moses did. And let's all do our best to always remember to trust God with everything, every single time, because he's a good father and he loves you so, so much. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.